0: Quick heads up from me, there is a bit of cursing in this episode. From a congressman, you've been warned. I'm wondering if you can just describe, like, what is it like to walk into the Capitol right now and how it's changed?
1: When I left, you know, I was able to walk around the outside and that was You know, it was pretty startling because it it reminded me of when I went to Iraq a few times during the war of the Green Zone.
0: Tim Ryan is a Democratic congressman from Ohio. When I spoke to him over the weekend, he was home in his district, getting ready to fly back to D.C. for work. And getting ready to report to a Capitol building that has become an ornate but fully fortified bunker.
1: It's very un-American, you know, I mean this is not supposed to happen in our country. And I think that's the that's why so many people I think are moving from a really high level of anger to a level of sadness that that it's all come to this.
0: Congressman Ryan has seen the Capitol change, lock itself down, up close. He's been working in and around the hill for more than two decades. He started right after college.
1: And that was pre-nine eleven. So that was even hmm. more open. I mean, it was just a playground. I mean, you could just walk anywhere, throwing Frisbees on the east front of the Capitol and throwing footballs and people walking their dogs. And I mean, it was just completely wide open. And then after 9-11, you know, began the process of the barriers, some of the barriers for cars and this and that and the cops and the bomb sniffing dogs and that kind of thing. And I just, I don't even have any clue what it's going to look like now. I just, I just, my sense is it's going to be very, very, a a much bigger perimeter, um, more checkpoints. You know, it's going to, it's going to suck. I mean, it really is. It's just going to be a whole different ballgame.
0: I wonder, we have just a couple of days until the inauguration, and all the security, does it make you feel safer or something else?
1: Boy that's a that's a complicated question in my mind. You know, I feel like th- the safety is going to be just fine. I feel like the you know, the double perimeter and, you know, but at the same time I think a lot of us are carrying a level of of fear and so there's always that concern of of some level of violence that may still happen. And these people are focused on on violence. So You know, you never can be completely sure. So you just say your prayers and keep your fingers crossed.
0: Today on the show, Congressman Tim Ryan leads the subcommittee that is responsible for oversight of the Capitol Police. And as he tries to figure out what went wrong back on January 6th, even he is feeling apprehensive about the week ahead. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, a few days ago, you were quoted as saying you were fucking livid over the Capitol Police response on January 6th. I was surprised by your language.
1: Well, you know, uh, to me, where I come from, there's no other way to say it. You know, like, that is the maximum amount of pissed off you could be or anger you can, you can have because you watch your friends that were in the chamber that even 10 days from now are still completely traumatized, completely carrying post-traumatic stress. And what it did to the country, what it showed to the world, you know, that, that we wouldn't be absolutely prepared for something that we knew could escalate rather quickly, that the, we knew the president was going to throw gasoline on that fire. So it was just, you know, in a lot of ways, a level of incompetence. And irresponsibility that that you could ever imagine. And like anything, that's the first emotion is sheer anger. And that's where I was.
0: One reason Congressman Ryan has been so furious is that he had been expressly assured the Capitol was secure. As one of the people who signs off on the half-billion-dollar-a-year budget for the Capitol Police, the day before the attack, Ryan got on a conference call with the sergeants-at-arms and the police chief— And all of them promised the politicians they're supposed to protect that they had things under control.
1: And they, you know, said, "Look, we got the national guard teed up. We, you know, we've got uh, all hands on deck with the Capitol Police. You know, we got this outer perimeter, and you know, on and on and on." And they made us all feel that that we were we were prepared for what was going to happen, and and we weren't. And now look at this mess.
0: And as everything started to go down. Yeah, you must have been just extra shocked because you had just had this conversation about how things wouldn't reach this level.
1: Yeah, you know, I I ended up on the phone this is maybe an hour hour and a half, maybe 2 hours in to the the insurrection in the capital. And you know, I was wanted to talk to the chief and I ended up talking to the assistant chief who's now now the chief. <laughs> you know, just gave it to her good. Like, what in the hell is going on here? And... What did she say? You know, the typical stuff. This is a fluid situation. We apologize, you know, da-da-da. And, you know, we're trying to get things under control. We're going to have the Capitol cleared in the next, you know, 30 minutes. And then it became an hour, then became an hour and a half. And, you know, that kind of thing.
0: The biggest problem Congressman Ryan sees... Is the lack of leadership from within the police force? Since the attack, law enforcement experts have noted the apparent absence of commanders and supervisors as the mob breached the Capitol building. And an internal memo from rank and file officers seemed to echo that observation. It singled out a single division commander for fighting alongside those under his command.
1: I just I think they were um, there. There's not a whole lot of confidence right now, obviously in the. The former chief, um, but even in the the interim chief, the acting chief, um, and the leadership that was in charge over the past, you know, few weeks, um, and so I think it was an attempt by the union to both be very clear with their um, disappointment, is uh, putting it politely, uh, with the leadership uh, that's currently still there. And really highlighting an example of of somebody that was standing shoulder to shoulder with the rank and file members, and has been for a while, and and saying this is the kind of leadership that we're looking for, you know, somebody who's in the trenches with us. And that inspector is somebody that you know a number of uh, rank and file officers have brought up to me, and so you know as we move forward, looking for you know, new leadership there post-inauguration, I think it's going to be really important for the rank and file members to have somebody they can trust. And they were trying to be very, very clear, this is what we're looking for because a lot of the people were MIA when we were when we needed advice, when we needed command and control to tell us what to do. They weren't there for us. And that's the, the example of the, um, the one officer who has been suspended who was wearing the MAGA hat. Evidently, from the rank and file members, they're saying that they were getting no orders, no clarity, no direction, that everybody was left to their own devices to just do whatever they thought they could do to try to de-escalate, I guess. And so this one officer put on a MAGA hat and tried to start talking people down, you know, talking them off the cliff. And
0: So it was a ham-handed attempt at de-escalation. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and I think it's hard for any of us to judge what you would do in that situation. You know, you put the hat on and say, look, guys, I understand what you're trying to do, you know, but you can't do it this way or that way. And I'm putting this hat on just to signal to you that, you know, I'm not hostile to what you're doing, or I'm not hostile to whatever, Uh, you know, basically grabbing for straws. Mm -hmm. You know, while you're drowning and probably wasn't the smartest thing. But again, who can judge because we weren't in that situation? And so I think that's an indication and an illustration of what a lack of, of leadership, what a lack of direction that the rank and file were getting, that it came to someone trying to do something like that.
0: Well, Stephen Sund, who resigned as the head of the Capitol Police, in interviews, he seems to be welcoming an investigation in a way, because he says that doing that job is a bureaucratic nightmare. You know, he reported to a board that included the sergeants-at-arms and the capital architect. And so getting anything done was really difficult without a firmer command structure.
1: And, you know, he could be right. I do think, you know, and I've had conversations with others who will be involved in the the reforming of this, and that command structure, yeah, may be outdated. I mean, it's a small board. And, you know, look, I mean, if you're the chief of police and you're, you're coordinating this effort, sometimes, especially in D.C., you just don't take no for an answer. If you want to get anything done in D.C., you cannot take no for an answer because the first answer is always no. We can't do that. (laughs) It's like, look, of course the first answer is going to be no. No, the optics aren't going to look good if we got National guards. You say, I don't give a shit about the optics. What are the optics of an insurrection at the Capitol? You know, you've got to push. And if you're in a leadership position, you have an obligation to protect your rank and file members, especially when something is dramatic and volatile. Um, like the situation we were dealing with is at hand.
0: When we come back, what the fallout from the attack has felt like inside Congress itself.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. At LuckyLandslots.com.
0: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. BGW
1: Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
0: Some of your colleagues have made pretty serious allegations about what happened on the 6th. Like I, I was struck particularly by Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill from New Jersey, who alleged that some Republican representatives were leading reconnaissance tours through the Capitol before the insurrection. And I was struck, too, by Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, who her team was quoted as saying once they got to her office, they noticed all of their panic buttons were gone. I, I wonder if you know any more about these kinds of more extreme allegations at this point.
1: Well, we did get uh, confirmation that the panic button that was a, a snafu for- for office changing. So there's a lot of offices that change after a new Congress begins. Um, people retire, people get beat. And then there's a, a scramble to move into the better offices of somebody who gets uh, beat or is out. And in that process, evidently, we were told that there was an issue with the getting the panic button reinstated in one of the offices or a couple of the offices. So that seemed to be you know, just kind of a random thing that happened with without anything nefarious being, you know, a part of that. The, the tours, I think, are something else. I mean, the tours are something that, you know, Mikey has a long experience in national security. And so, you know, I, part of being in Congress is you get experts that come from all over the uh, country in different fields and so what I said is, look, look, if her antennas are up, they're probably much sharper than anybody else's in the Congress, and we need to we need to take to account what she's saying. So you don't want to jump to any conclusions, and i'm I'm really trying to make sure we don't let our fear uh, ov- override our our system here, but also be clear eyed as to some common sense stuff. So that's being looked into. There are close to 2,000 cameras around Capitol Hill, so there's a ton of footage, as you can see, as the arrests are being made. And I had a call uh, two days ago with the chief of Capitol Police, just basically telling him, we need to zero in on those tours, on those hours on January 5th. We need to have some knowledge if, if there is a connection here. And if there are connections there, then, and there were uh, in, intentionally, you know, helping these people understand what the Capitol looked like, then that begins criminal activity of coordination for sedition and trespassing and all these other charges that are going to be levied. So it's an important yeah. step, but I want people to know, you know, before the inauguration, which members of Congress those were.
0: There was such a disconnect between these kinds of comments about Congress people being very scared and concerned about how their colleagues were responding to the insurrection and, and possibly even preparing for it, and then what happened in the Republican caucus. Because at the same time that we were seeing allegations that Republican Congress people may have you know, given people tours, we saw Republican Congress people insisting on for instance bringing firearms onto the floor. Well, there you have
1: it. I mean that that's I mean that's the point. It's like okay, we're already concerned about what happened. We're concerned about members potentially being involved with the coordination or at least helping with the knowledge we know you're giving vocal support and tweets and social media support and all that. And now we have the mind-blowing step of we need magnetometers for members of congress walking into the house chamber because other members of congress who may be tied to the tours and are certainly tied to the insurrection are want to carry guns into the chamber now we we are on uncharted waters for sure but then when those members say we're not going through those metal detectors why you know why? No one else in this place is worry, is carrying a a gun, and you want to, and we're worried about where you've been. It's just so mind blowing for all of us. Every citizen who's been in that situation where it's just an annoyance, you just got to take your wallet out, you know, throw your purse on the other side, let them look look through it, and just walk through because you're part of a community here that needs to feel a little bit safer. And this level of selfishness is what blows my mind to just not recognize that tips people off that maybe there's something more going on here.
0: Have you interacted much with your Republican colleagues since the breach? Like, I'm kind of curious if you feel safe with them.
1: I, I mean, the vast majority of, of them are fine. Vast, vast majority um, are you know, politicians who want to curry favor with the base. And, you know, I think some of them realize that it got a little bit out of control. You know, those people who changed their vote after the insurrection. But you got a lot of Republicans walking around the Capitol looking at their shoes. You know, they just they don't want to draw eye contact with anybody. You know, a lot of them down deep know that that this went way too far, that they're perpetuating the big lie that this whole thing is built upon.
0: Is that enough?
1: No, mm- no, it's not even close, which is why I think I think we need to do something along the lines of a resolution that that is very straightforward and clear, much like the impeachment resolution that just says you know all of these accounts about fraud for the election were exhausted, and Joe Biden is the legally elected. President of the United States, and that the election. You're talking about
0: everyone getting on the same page in terms of a shared set of facts. God,
1: I just think we've got to do it. You know, it's like we've got to. Mitch McConnell said this in his speech that I thought was very, very well done. I thought he hit the nail on the head. And when he said, we have to start operating from the same set of facts. And and I think some kind of straightforward resolution just saying that Joe Biden is the legally duly elected president of the United States, that there was no fraud as as all of these attempts were exhausted. There was no fraud that was found. And he's the president. And, and just force those 130 or whatever the final number was, Republicans in the House and in the Senate, those Republicans in the Senate, who voted to overturn the election, at least get them on record to say, okay, you're saying no to the big lie.
0: I guess you're more optimistic than me, because I'm not sure that those representatives would sign something like that. I mean, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene already saying she wants to impeach Joe Biden on day one. that.
1: <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I mean, I'm not optimistic. I just think that's a strategy. <laughs> so... <laughs> Don't don't get me wrong, but don't underestimate the power of the donors, the donor class to to move things along in Washington, D.C., if they get on board with it. And and I think the business community is doing a very good job of of like putting pressure on people to say Joe Biden is the president. And they're going to help him. The CEO and founder of Home Depot, I thought, was huge because he donated so much money to Donald Trump um, for him to say. Uh, I'm supporting Joe Biden. This has gone way too far. For those businesses who donate a lot of money to Republicans to say, you need to vote for this so we can like get this country back in order, because now it's starting to destabilize the whole country, which means it's going to destabilize our opportunities to do business. I think that it would be important to have their support too for for a resolution like that.
0: It's interesting to hear you talk about the business community. Because I think you're right that the business community is really important here in terms of getting people's attention and and changing politicians' minds. But at the same time, I wonder if you see that as a failure. Like, the government itself wasn't able to really hold itself to account. So now it's on the business community to help do that. Or is that just the American way?
1: No, it's maddening. I mean, I think it's maddening that we have these the concentration of power and money is, and this has been the issue I've talked about most of my career. It's all in the same hands, you know, the, the concentration of wealth has led to the concentration of political power. And, and, you know, that's why um, you've seen these huge rifts in society um, and which created the breeding ground for a demagogue, to come in and take advantage of, of all of that. And, you know, I mean, when you think about Trump getting elected, a lot of people were anticipating almost like a Teddy Roosevelt style progressive Republican who was going to come in and break up that concentration of wealth.
0: Well, He kind of broke the mold of Republican. Oh
1: my God. He was, I was so scared as a Democrat, just sheer politics, you know, I mean, it needed to be done was going to take on these bad hmm. trade deals and he was going to raise taxes on the rich and expand health care. I mean, he was, you know, he was going to be Robin Hood and, and uh, he failed. He went right in and fell into the supply side economic, you know, uh, approach and deregulation and didn't care about the environment and everything else. He blew what could have been a, an opportunity to do a complete realignment and really lift up the people who have been left behind. And he didn't do it. And I remember Steve Bannon, you know, saying that, look, this, there's either going to be a, a left-wing populism or a right-wing populism because the, the average American's fed up with what's going on. And they had their chance, and, and he blew it. He really blew it.
0: Are you going to be at the inauguration this week?
1: Yes, I'm planning on going, uh, but you know I'm not a hundred percent i'm keep, keep going back and forth with my wife you know she you know she has uh you know some concerns and uh, I'm, I'm planning on going I think it's going to be it's going be safe, but I do know there are a number of members who won't be going
0: interesting do you know where you're going to be if you go?
1: Uh, no, I really don't, but if I did, I wouldn't tell you anyway
0: huh. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised to hear you say, basically, you aren't sure it's going to be safe.
1: Well, I think, you know, like I said, I think it's going to be safe. But, you know, I think convincing some of our spouses who watched what happened last week or other citizens who watched what happened last week that it's going to be safe is a whole other ball game. And that's, you know, that's what people forget about members of Congress. They're husbands and wives and spouses and they have kids and lots of, like, normal people concerns. and. You know, you got to respect that. So I'm registered to go, um, but you know we'll see how things look at the last minute.
0: Congressman Tim Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Tim Ryan represents Ohio's 13th congressional district, which includes Youngstown. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, and Mary Wilson. We are getting a ton of help right now from Frannie Kelly, Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict oversee us all. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.